It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you're dead. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. We'll punch you in the nose for 60 minutes with a relentless competitive attitude. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live presented by New York Lottery. Thanks so much for tuning in. With you for the next 60 minutes, he is Jeff Fiegels. I'm Lance Meadow. Multiple ways you'd interact with us here on the program 973-667-1960 that is option number one you can also head to twitter hashtag giants chat and follow and interact directly with the two of us i'm at lance meadow one word last name m-e-d-o-w he is at jay fiegel's one word as well as a reminder you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network brought to you by investors bank it's on the giants mobile app podcast platforms everywhere and at giants.com slash podcast so we got a lot to tackle over these next 60 minutes we'll obviously recap conference championship weekend look ahead to the Super Bowl and get into some of the latest NFL news as it pertains of course to the New York Giants Jeff did you sit back on the couch relax and absorb football yesterday 100% yep Um, I think just like everybody it was cold so nobody can really go out and do anything with COVID you gotta stay home and there was uh, two good football games on so uh, exciting week you knew they were going to be two good games it's always exciting championship Sunday and um you know, to me, Lance, uh, these two games, you know, I only went to one of them. And fortunately, I did win and went on to the Super Bowl. But it is really tough, tough going if you lose this game, you know, that game. Because you're just one, you're one game away from the Super Bowl. Um, you're just so close. And, you know, you, in a year like t- this year with COVID, to get to that opportunity to play in a championship game and, and lose and not be able to go to the Super Bowl. It's just, I think it's just really, it's, it crushes you a little bit more knowing what you've gone through this whole season. So it was tough to watch the teams that didn't go. Um, you know, you look at uh, Tom Brady again. We'll have to be talking about him for two weeks now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, Aaron Rodgers, a guy that just, you know, has got a, I don't know, man, he's cursed. One, one and four in championship games. So just tough situation. I just think, and I think the Bills, the Bills are, they're just not ready yet. They're a good team. I think they're getting there. And I think they're a team that's going to be, you know, someone to contend with here in the next few years. But they're just, you know, that, that's that darn Kansas City team. They are good, man. And you got to put points up on them. You can't, you can't play uh, passive. You got to be aggressive with those guys. Yeah. You can't take the foot off the pedal when no, you go up against the Kansas City Chiefs. because bit. There's never enough points that could be scored in a game like that. But I thought you brought up a great point about how difficult it is really, Jeff, to get back there if you lose and you fall short. So that's why it's so painful, at least from Aaron Rodgers' perspective, the fact that his future now all of a sudden is being brought into question because of what was said in the press conference. We could certainly get into that a little bit with respect to the quarterback landscape and how that may impact free agency as well as the draft. But I want to start with the NFC Championship game. You just mentioned, Jeff, Tom Brady, he's going back to the Super Bowl for the 10th time. It's quite ridiculous. This is a guy that has started for 19 of his 21 seasons in the NFL, and he's going to the Super Bowl for the 10th time. That means that for about 50% of his career, Tom <laughs> Brady has advanced to the Super Bowl. I'd say that's pretty good. Yeah, I don't think it's, it almost doubles anybody else, right? I mean, uh, it's, it's, it's almost one of those things where, you know, no one will ever, ever do that. And the more times he keeps going to it, the, the more he adds to his legacy. But uh, I just, I don't think that we understand um, how you know, what he brings to an organization. I know that this whole this whole thing with him leaving New England was, hey, I want to show you that I can do it. Uh, well, he's done it. Um, but it just goes to show you how, you know, one guy like Tom Brady can really elevate your organization. <laughs> I mean, here's a Tampa team that's been trying to get back to that Super Bowl uh, for so long and, and try to go and, and just a guy comes along and, you know, by the way, it, it, it took time, but – Man, I'll tell you what, he's got a good team around him. He's got a good defense. You look at that roster that Tampa has, um, but Tom Brady's, yeah, it's just it's just incredible the way he can do things. And, and even after throwing three interceptions yesterday, he's still, he's still the man. He'll still be able to get it done. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because much like we talk about Giants games, mm-hmm. I think the conference championship games – I'm not surprised in terms of the results if you look at the numbers. And you just hit on the turnovers. So Tampa Bay turned the ball over three times because Tom Brady had the three interceptions. And the Packers coughed it up twice, 
which was a surprise considering Green Bay only turned the ball over 11 times in the mm-hmm. regular season, which was the fewest. It reminded me actually of the 2011 divisional round game between the Giants and the Packers because, Jeff, that year, Green Bay was very good in the ball security department, turned it over 14 times, second fewest times in the NFL, and then they cough it up four times against the Giants. And what happened? The Giants capitalized. So getting back to my main point here, Jeff, Green Bay scored six points off of those three interceptions, two field goals. That's it. Whereas Tampa Bay took the two Green Bay turnovers, cashed it in for a pair of touchdowns. So you can tell me all you want about how Green Bay was opportunistic. They took advantage of Brady. Problem is, Jeff, as I always say, they didn't do anything with them. So it was a 14-6 advantage for the Bucs. So forget the fact that you got the takeaways. If you don't capitalize, it really doesn't make much of a difference. The other thing that was a killer was the play right before the end of the first half, Jeff, Mm, when it looked as if, okay, Green Bay knew we're going to get the ball to start the third quarter, right? So at worst, let's just hold Tampa Bay to a field goal, right? Let's force them to bring in Ryan Suckup. And after they dropped an interception, what do we always see in football, right? About a play or two later, then the team that got the break makes you pay, and that's exactly what Brady did. He hit Scotty Miller from 39 yards out, and it seemed as if that was just a back-breaking play for the Packers. Well, it also t- goes to show you that in these games, you've got to be somewhat of a risk-taker. You've got to be able to play you know, aggressively. And they had the punt team on. We're talking about the same play here. They had the punt team on, and then they brought him off and put, put, the, put the, uh, the offense back on, and boom. So, yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, these are types of plays, but I think what you, the big point that you make, it makes sense, is that you have to cap, when you capitalize on a takeaway, you, you, I mean, excuse me, when you have a takeaway, you've got to capitalize on it. You've got to turn those into more than field goals, especially against teams that can, that can run up the score on you. So, um, but, you know, when I look at the, all four, all two of these games, you know, and look in the playoffs and you look at what Kansas City did last week in that fourth down play, you look at some of the risk takes risk that you take. You got to be able to be, have confidence. And uh, to me, I don't think the Packers had a lot of confidence um, in that game yesterday. And I think that they they knew that you know that you had a team that was you know momentum was there. There was a lot of big plays. And um, but yeah, I, I I think you know as far as take takeaways, you got to turn them into points and big points, not just field goals. And that was a big a big a big deciding factor in this game yesterday, Lance. There's no doubt about it. Just for clarification, I said two field goals because the six points is equivalent to two field goals. Technically, Green Bay did score one touchdown. They went for two. They didn't get it. So they did get one touchdown off of the three interceptions, but that's equivalent to two field goals. And by the way, that that dropped dropped two-point play was a big, big – It was always – it was there the whole whole time after that. You're sitting there going, okay, now we've got to score five points. Rather, we we could be kicking a field goal, you know, so – um, but yeah, these are just, you know, there's always a handful of games as much as we do these games across the, the landscape of the season. There's always a few every single game, no matter where it is, championship game, Super Bowl, regular season, preseason. There's a handful of plays in every single game that you can turn to and look at. And, it, and it's and that's the difference between winning and losing in the National Football League. It's just a handful of plays. All the rest of it. It's just it's just back and forth, back and forth. But when you look at some of the the plays that you have to. Did you go back and say, well, what if, what if, that, what if that happens every week? And, you know, that two-point conversion, what if he had caught it? The landscape of that game would have changed completely. They would have done a lot of different things. So that field goal that they kicked with two minutes and, and nine seconds left on the clock, I mean, that would have meant a lot more than if they had made that two, if they didn't make that, miss that two-point conversion. Down three and down five is a big deal. It's huge. Because it's a 28-25 game at that point if they convert the two-point conversion. And then all of a sudden, the strategy changes, the aggressiveness changes, just the entire thinking and rationale behind all of your moves. Because now you think about you don't have to go the length of the field. You just got to get into the field say, goal yeah, range. That's yeah. right. You're, you don't, now, now, the whole, now the whole field changes. Now you only got to go wherever you're at, maybe 50 yards rather than 70 to get in the end zone. Um, and I know that we're going to talk. With, I don't know which way you want to go here, and we can talk about the Well, play. I think I know exactly where you're going to go. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was um, going to be the next thing on my agenda. Yes. Well, I, I just, you know, at the time when I was on the couch and, I, and all of us watching the game stood up and said, what? What? Or what is what's going on here? Um, they kicked the field goal. I ended up, I had to go to the restroom. I got up, and I, as, I, as I, <laughs> I was thinking and, and kind of going through this, I was saying to myself, okay, so this does make sense. Um, 
Okay, so and it's and to preface this whole conversation is it's very easy for people to sit back on day number two and play the armchair quarterback and say, well, what is he doing? Or you should have done this and you shouldn't have done that. At that time and place, I, I felt that here was my rationale. No matter what, okay, they were going to have to stop the, the Tampa Bay offense for one series, Green Bay. Right, no matter what, whether they kicked the field goal there or they scored a touchdown, they're still going to have to stop them. Okay, so my thinking is that Lafleur said, "I've got one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. I'm going to put him in a position that where our defense is going to stop them." Brady was not playing well. Okay, and we're going to stop them, and my quarterback is going to cement his legacy in this world by going down in the NFC Championship game, and rather than score a touchdown and a two-point conversion. He's going to run down there with a minute and 90 seconds left or whatever it was, 90 seconds left, and win the game with a touchdown rather than have to score a touchdown and go for a two-point conversion. That at the time was my thinking. That's, that's what I think. And, and by the way, I actually – I know a lot of people are going to disagree with me, but I understand why he did it. Now, you could say that, you know, you got the best quarterback ever to live, that played the game next to Tom Brady and just fourth and one. But if you look at the three plays prior to that, he didn't do anything. You know, so – I don't know. That's just kind of a – now, it's easy to sit back and say I wouldn't have done it, but at the time I was like, okay, I think this is okay play. Now, I know analytics go into a lot of this stuff, and thank God that Tatino's not on with us today because he would have <laughs> been going crazy if I even mentioned that word in that situation. But that, that's my point to it. I understand why he did it. Was it the right thing? Was it the wrong thing? I don't know, but I understand why he did it. Well, the Bucks' offense, certainly to your point, Jeff, was not nearly as electric in the second half as it was in the first half. Brady threw three interceptions on three consecutive possessions. The possession right before Matt LaFleur decided to take the field goal as opposed to go for it on fourth and goal, they actually did get into field goal range, so that put them up by eight. So it was fourth and goal at the Tampa Bay eight. There was just over two minutes left in the game, 2.05 to be exact. They still had three timeouts, and the so timeout. they had an opportunity to stop the clock. I guess the reason why I would argue mm -hmm. to go for it at that point is wouldn't you rather take your chances, Jeff, with the caliber of the quarterback that you have? You're at the Tampa Bay eight-yard line, okay? What are the chances of getting back into that spot, that deep into the field again? So I would rather take my chances by going for the touchdown there. And, yes, you do need the two-point conversion. There's no guarantee. And, yes, you would still need to stop them. Or even if you stop them and you get the ball back, the pressure's not on now for me to have to go the length of the field. I now would only have to go to get into field goal range or worse, we play for overtime. So I would say the pressure on your team basically dissipates if you go for it and you get the touchdown. And if you don't, yeah, you still have to make a stop, but the challenge is just as difficult as it was had you gone for it on fourth down, I guess is what I'm saying. I don't really think there's that big of a risk difference under those circumstances if you would have gone for it on fourth and goal. Now, with that being said, Jeff, before I get your response, as much as people want to criticize Matt LaFleur, I think some criticism should go the way of Aaron Rodgers. And I haven't heard enough people talk about this. Those final two plays before they went for the field goal, mm -hmm. I would argue, and once again, to your point, Jeff, it's easy for me to play Monday morning quarterback. I thought okay. Aaron had enough of an opportunity to attempt to run oh, sure. and take his chances yeah. as opposed to force it. So when he goes back and watches the film, I would hope that he would see that too. But I would think, you know, you want to have a conversation about Matt LaFleur's decision-making? Then in fairness, let's have a conversation about whether or not the quarterback made the right decision to try to force it into the end zone as opposed to using his mobility, which we know he's more than capable of showing. And which, by the way, there was nobody out there. There, there was no one there. No so, one in front of him, yeah. Exactly. And, you know, so whether he gets in the end zone or not, that's, that's to, you know, to be argued. But at least he's got a lot of – a lot of ways to make a first down and get out of bounds, um, you know, and then have a chance there. So, yeah, I agree with you. I think there should be some, some responsibility taken on his part too. But, again, I think it's all about how you think personally about this situation in this game. Um, I, and, I, I, by the way, I, I don't think anybody is wrong here. Um, I think you have your right to your opinion. What I'm saying is that I understand where Matt LaFleur was coming from. And I think it's a hard position. There's a lot of people that are not going to side with me here. I know that. Um, and, you know, so I, I get it. And to me, what, what would we be talking about if it happened that way? You know, they kick the field goal, their defense stops them, and then here comes – because we have seen it. 
for however many years Aaron Rodgers has been doing this, we have seen him come back and throw Hail Marys. Sure. We've, we've seen him come back in games that just have, have just, I mean, they did it against the Giants. So, I mean, we have seen him do it constantly. So I think that in the back of my mind is where I'm thinking, okay, if there's a guy that's going to do it at home, at Lambeau Field, in an NFC Championship game, this guy's going to be able to do it. I mean, he has a State Farm commercial where he hits a driver and it goes in the, in the cup. He can do anything. You know what I'm saying? So I think that's where I was thinking to myself, my God, how, how amazing is this going to be if he gets the ball back here and has, you know, over a minute to left with some timeouts and be able to, to go down and, and hit his wide receivers and work that field like he does. Um, and it would have been special. But, you know, now we got to listen to Tom Brady for two weeks. That's well, right. here's the thing. If they get three and out, to your point, the defense, and then Rodgers does get a possession back and has an opportunity to – get a game-winning touchdown. Yeah, nobody's questioning Matt LaFleur. Like anything else, Jeff, That's it's right. all exactly. result-oriented, right? Exactly. We're looking at the result. The result yeah. is it didn't work out in his favor, so therefore it's very easy to look at it through a different perspective. Now, the other thing I'll add, Jeff, which I think is important to note, and maybe this is where Matt LaFleur's timing stinks, last weekend the Chiefs played the Browns in the divisional round, right? So Andy Reid has a decision. Does he punt? It's a fourth and one. They're right around midfield. Mm -hmm. Or does he go for it? You know you're going to end the game, but if you don't get it, you give Cleveland hell of a field position mm -hmm. opportunity there, right? So he decides, even with Chad Henney as his quarterback, because Mahomes is out of the game, he says, I'm going to go for it. He throws it to Tyreek Hill right side. They pick up the first down. Game over. Kevin Stefanski doesn't even get a possession back. Remember, he decided to punt as opposed to going for it. So I think you see one week the aggressiveness of a head coach who knows he has a backup quarterback and says, hey, we're going to do everything in our power to be aggressive and try to win this game. Then you see the following week, in the span of one week, Jeff, you see now a Hall of Fame quarterback, and that coach takes the ball out of that quarterback's hands and says, we're going to take the points and we're going to trust our defense. I mm -hmm. think that timing makes it a little bit difficult to swallow yeah. because of what Andy Reid did with a backup quarterback. Yeah, and I, you know, and I don't know because we're not there, and I know that some of these teams are very heavily into analytics, and you know, is there someone that's telling him, this is what we're supposed to do, this is what you should do? We'll never know, but I think a lot of it has to do with it. I think a lot of it is where I don't like again. Analytics have a have a they have a place. They definitely have a place in baseball more than football. Um, sometimes this stuff does make sense, and sometimes it doesn't. And I think that, you know, they were weighing heavily here on analytics, in my opinion. But on the other side of it, um, you know, I, I feel like, you know, and again, you know, I don't think that Aaron Rodgers is in the position to, to, to tell the team to get off the field. No, we're not going. We're going for it. We're not kicking a field goal here. I mean, well, he people, said that after the game, Jeff. He oh, said did it's he? not I my did not decision. See that. I yeah, did he was not asked. He says it's not my decision. But of course, okay. If you ask him deep down inside, I yeah, well, you, I mean, we know what he would do. But yes. uh, yeah, and you know what? But that's just who Aaron Rodgers is. He's not gonna. He's not gonna do that. And so, um, you know, I listen. I I get it, and it's unfortunate. But um, you know, hey, I, I think that Tampa played a better game. They played a better game than they did. And you know, I think that. Um, Jones going out of the lineup hurt them a lot, I think, with their running game. And um, but the bottom line is, it's like I said at the beginning, it's it's a tough pill to swallow, especially if you're Aaron Rodgers and you've been in the league as long as you have, and you get to that point, and it's not easy to get back. It's not easy to get back. It really isn't because of the way the game is played today, and with rosters turning over and free agency and all that stuff, it's it's tough to keep your teams together for that long. Well, Jeff, I think you hit it right on the nose, what you just alluded to, because we sit here and we overanalyze the last two minutes of the game. And rightfully so, because that did have an impact yeah. on the game. But you really have to go back to what you were just hitting on. What happened earlier in this game? The Packers putting themselves in a position to, number one, play from behind, which really eliminated the run game. And then they lost the battle in the trenches, okay? That's where they won against the Rams the previous week. And you know how we always use the cliched line, Jeff? It's a week-to-week -week league. Well, I can't utilize a better term to describe what happened to the Packers between the divisional round and the NFC Championship game. Yeah. We went from seeing a team without their starting left tackle, David Bakhtiari, one week against the number one scoring defense, Aaron Donald, Michael Brockers, you know all the usual suspects, yeah. Leonard Floyd, all those guys, right? And they kept the pocket clean. Aaron Rodgers wasn't touched. Okay, so then we go 
Move the calendar forward one week, Jeff. Now he's going up against the Bucks with JPP and Shaq Barrett and Indomitian Sue and Vita Vea came off IR. Which okay, a lot huge. of big boys yep. up front, right? So what happens this week? Well, the Packers' offensive line did not play well, okay? Aaron Rodgers was sacked five times. Yeah, yeah. And that did not enable him to get comfortable like he did against the Rams. On top of that... The Bucs had eight quarterback hits. So how do you say to yourself, well, wait a minute. How did they do it well one week and they didn't do it well another week? We've seen that. Jeff, haven't we seen that with the Giants, right? We see the offensive line perform well one week, and then all of a sudden in the next week, it's almost like it's unrecognizable. Well, yep. the rest of the NFL is no different. This yep. is exactly what played out yesterday. Well, you know what? It's, it's every week is different matchups too. And, you know, you're not playing the same. You're not lining up against the same player every week. You know, and sometimes you, you, your matchups are better than across from you. Um, on a week-to-week -week basis, they're going to win sometimes, and sometimes you're going to win. But I think that you know, you, sometimes you can overlook things. And when you're going up against a Rams defense that was number one in the NFL and you know really good up front, you put a little more emphasis on that. I think that maybe that that Packers offensive line underestimated the uh, how powerful and how good that Tampa front four is. And um, and Vita Vita coming back helped them a lot because he's a big boy. Oh, you know, yeah. and I, I was watching him just push the pocket. And that's what you want from those interior defensive linemen. Even though if they're not going to get their hands on the quarterback, if you can push the pocket, okay, and then, and then get him outside the pocket, that's where those sacks came from. Okay, so they, their game plan worked. And like I said, and I appreciate the, the remark, that they won. They, they played a better game. They won the trenches, and they, they beat them up front. And that's what happened. Lance Meadow, Jeff Fiegel's with you here on Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. It's presented by the New York Lottery, the new X series of scratch-offs from the New York Lottery. Multiply your winnings up to 100 times. Please play responsibly. And limited giant season tickets are on sale now for the 2021 season. In addition to ticket savings, membership benefits include access to exclusive events, experiences, pre-sales, and more. You can lock in your seats starting at just $100. Call 888-NYG-1925. That's 888-NYG-1925. Or you can visit Giants.com slash tickets for more information. Okay, so that's the NFC Championship game layout of the land. Now let's switch gears and turn our attention to what happened in terms of the AFC Championship game. And we had jokingly said earlier in the show, well, you just got to keep scoring when you go up against the Kansas City Chiefs. But here's the thing. The Bills, they had opportunities, and they settled for field goals, Jeff. That, to me, is what came back to bite the Buffalo Bills. Clearly, Josh Allen had the interception. That was a big issue. But I also thought... Very similar to what we just talked about between the Packers and the Bucks, I thought the Chiefs' defensive line completely outplayed the Buffalo Bills' offensive line. Allen had a lot of pressure. He was sacked four times. Remember, there were a few sacks, Jeff, where he probably hurt himself more when he ran back an additional 10 yards. Yeah. I mean, no one seems to have the talent of picking up more loss of yardage on a sack than Josh <laughs> Allen does, right? He just keeps so, going. Yeah, I mean, those plays and play in the trenches, I think, was also a big X factor, even though people are going to look at, oh, yeah, you got to keep scoring and scoring. But I also thought the Bills suffered a lot of negative plays, which is something that they tended to avoid in the earlier rounds of the playoffs. Yeah, and, and then real quickly on the NFC, too, you know, the, the, the Packers and Aaron Rodgers is not used to getting sacked, okay? Um, and he will take a sack because he knows he's not going to throw an interception. He'll take the sack. But, you know, that got to him. And those negative plays that you're mentioning and with any football team, we look at the Giants and we talk about how their offense has plays on a Sunday in and Sunday out and those negative plays. Well, anytime the Giants offense gets a bunch of negative plays in a game, you know they're not winning football games. So it kind of goes with, with what the Bills were doing yesterday. They were put in situations where they were getting tackles behind the line of scrimmage. They were getting sacks. I mean, there was a couple sacks where uh, Josh Allen, he had nowhere to go. I mean, he had no – he tried to look right, he tried to look left. I mean, there's no way he could go, and he just kept retreating backwards. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and they, they, they really won that, that type the, – uh, they won that part of the game. And so I think that when you look at Kansas City, um, yeah, their defense is good, but you don't look, them, look at them as being, you know, such a dominant team. But they put pressure on that Bills offense yesterday. Oh, yeah. I mean, really did. And they took Stephon Diggs out of the game. Um, you know, he's not, he wasn't a guy lighting it up everywhere. And, you know, I was looking and reading a little bit about in the press conference, um, about the bills and the, you know, he was saying the head coach, um, Sean McDermott, Sean was saying, 
you know, if I had it back, yeah, I probably would have not kicked field goals there. But that's easy to say, you know, in hindsight. But um, I think that the one thing about this, you know, Chiefs team is that, you know, you blink and you can't – they're putting points everywhere. And it's like – I would love to be the punter on the Kansas City Chiefs. <laughs> yeah, because you'll watch the whole game. <laughs> That's why. I mean, they have more touchdowns than they have punts on the season. Now, you go and look at every other team around the NFL. I don't even think you're going to get close to that. I mean, it's, it, that is ridiculous. Um, but, you know, they just have an ability. And some of the, some of the, the, the designs of those plays on fourth downs and in the red zone who is designing those plays? Because, man, I'll tell you what, they work so good. And they're, they're not easy either. If you look at some of the, the, the route combinations and, the, and some of the motions and, and how they run things, those are things that are being practiced all year. I promise you, those aren't, those aren't things that just those, – those are not drawn up in the sand the week before. Those, those plays have been drawn up all season. They've been working on them. Um, and then when they're ready to go and they get a chance, they feel like – because, you know, every coach goes into a game – Lance every week and they throw plays out uh, that didn't you know it just didn't look good this week we're going to come back next week and we'll run it until they can get it done and they feel comfortable that it's going to work in a game then they'll run it and so that's what a lot of these these plays are and they just change up some of them they just they if they do it to the right then they'll change it and they'll do it to the left but it's amazing to watch it's absolutely insane to watch this offense work like they do well, and the level of execution, I think, takes it to a whole other level. The play design, right, could be great, Jeff, but you need the players to then carry it out. The but execution, exactly. 100%. And you bring up a great point because if you go back to the play they ran, which I was referencing earlier when they went for it on fourth and one to end the Browns game, they ran that exact same play against the Miami Dolphins right. earlier yep. this season. Yep. Okay. Yep. Then you look at the touchdown that Mahomes threw to Kelsey yesterday. It was the underhand toss. Mm -hmm. They also ran that exact play they did. a so number of times. So here's the thing. They actually put it on film for you. Mm -hmm. But because of all the movement, to your point, before the play, they make it look differently. So therefore, they're duplicating a play, but the bells and whistles that they doll it up look a little bit different before the play. So it's hard to diagnose it beforehand to anticipate that that's something they've already done. Yep, or they'll, they'll, they'll draw it up. It'll be the same play. It'll just be a different personnel. You know, instead of Kelsey getting the yeah. pitch, you know, it'll be the fullback or, you know, somebody else coming in motion. And um, it's really interesting. It, it, and it, it, I can guess as a defensive coordinator and defensive players, it must drive you crazy um, because you think, you, you study, you watch film, you see the formations, you see the personnel, you know the play, and then all of a sudden it's not the play. <laughs> it's just like uh, that's just got to drive you absolutely crazy. But you know, to 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 the point where the Buffalo Bills, I think they're they're a team that's that's has some staying power. Um, they're going to be around. Um, that that AFC East now is a is a division that's going to be a good one to watch um, for years to come now. And I think that you know they're just they're just not there. They they had a good run the year before, and now they've gotten to this point. And I think this is kind of you know one of the teams you got to keep your eye out for. And moving on to the Super Bowl, very interesting. You got Steve Spagnola, who's going to be the defensive coordinator going up against Tom Brady again in the Super Bowl. I believe that's happened before, Jeff, right? Yep. Yeah, I believe so. And so we will see what Spags comes up with uh, to create some pressure to get in Tom Brady because that's how you, that's how you beat him. And, uh, you know, that, that defensive line for the Chiefs, as we saw yesterday, if they can be active like they were against Buffalo, then they got a good shot. Should be a good game. That's all we really hope about. I don't care who wins. I just want a good, good Super Bowl weekend. That's for sure. Well, and it's a rematch from earlier in the regular season when both teams went back and forth. And you're right. I mean, you got balance on both of these teams, Jeff. That's what jumps out to me. You got two teams that could clearly score, and you have two teams that have defenses that could put pressure on you in terms of the pass rush and even in terms of stopping the run. Tampa Bay had the number one run defense throughout the bulk of this season. Here's the one early storyline to monitor. And yes, we're going to have two weeks, but the Chiefs lost left tackle yeah. Eric Fisher, and that really stinks, right? You get this far, and then your left tackle tears his Achilles. Yeah. I mean, talk about the worst possible timing. And keep in mind, Kansas City has been without right tackle Mitchell Schwartz for the bulk of the second half of the season. Now, I don't know if there's a chance he may come back for the Super Bowl because he's still on IR, and, you know, there's been whispers they're going to activate him this week. You know, they're going to activate him next week. It hasn't happened, so maybe they'll get lucky. Maybe they'll be able to bring him back, mm -hmm. but... 
you're going up against JPP and Shaq Barrett. You want to feel as if you got your anchor left tackle back, regardless of the mobility of Mahomes. So right now, I'd say there's a significant advantage for the Tampa Bay up front, knowing that you're going to go up against a banged-up Chiefs offensive line because they've also lost a few other guys along the way throughout the course of this season. Yeah, and I think that uh, that Todd Bowles will put together a good t- uh, game plan. Pretty pretty amazing that those two guys are back in a Super Bowl together, Arians and Todd Bowles. Um, you know, they ran, ran Todd Bowles out of town here, that's for sure, you know. Uh, but, you know, it kind of goes back to the, some of these coaches, Lance, that – you know, they're better coordinators than they are head football coaches. Um, you know, not to say any of them are, aren't great minds of football. They all have great minds. But I think that the head coaching position is such a different animal than that coordinator because you have so many more hats to wear. And, um, you know, when you're a coordinator, you're really just focusing on one thing, and that's getting your defense or your offense in the right positions to succeed every week, whereas a head coach has so much more to worry about, and some of these guys just can't handle it. And I think Todd Bowles is one of them. We've seen that. We've seen that yeah. with a variety of guys. Absolutely. Wade Phillips is another guy. North Turner, I'll throw out. Really good-minded coordinators, but when they take over as the head coach, maybe not necessarily having the same success. And Buddy that's Ryan. Because, but, yeah, there's another good example. I mean, listen, you've been around the league long enough. You've interacted with a lot of these individuals, so you've seen it up close and personal. And it is good to see them then get second-chance opportunities as coordinators and, once again, prove that – it's not an X's and O's problem. Sometimes it's just taking on that CEO role, which uh, is always the debate about do you want the X's and O's minded person running your team or do you want more of the CEO type, like a Tom Coughlin, another individual who you're very familiar with. By the way, speaking of all these Giants connections, not only should we call out Spags for getting back to the Super Bowl, how about two guys that are underneath him on that staff, mm-hmm. Dave Merritt mm-hmm. and Sam Madison, another mm-hmm. player that you yeah. know very well, Jeff. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Sam was my teammate of mine. So, Indeed. Um, and, and, yeah, and Dave Merritt, actually another teammate of mine. <laughs> Dave, Merritt, <laughs> Dave Merritt was my uh, – I think he was my right guard when I played in Arizona um, on the punt team. And, um, and then also – and then Sam played with, with us in the, the 07 – I think it was – yeah, it was the 07. Yeah, no, you're 100% team. right. Well, yeah. let's see. I'm looking up. Merritt was on the Cardinals from 93 to 95. Yeah, yeah. That so, where, there you exactly. go. Exactly. I was there, and I was there from – uh, 90, uh, was it 90, let's see, 93, 94, 94, 94 to 97. to 97. You were there. Yeah. yeah so yep. you overlapped yeah, so Dave, with yeah. uh, Dave Merritt for a few seasons. Exactly. Yeah. And so, um, you know, those guys are, and Sam Madison is, he's, I mean, he was a coach when he was playing with us, you know, so, and him and Spags are, they were tight. Um, and so it was no, 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 uh, mystery to me that he would be back, you know, be in the NFL and teaching. I mean, he was coaching down at Miami, too, for a little bit, too, I believe. And JPP, obviously, going yeah. back to the Super Bowl, too. Well, so. I mean, there's a guy that that's has a lot of uh, – he's come from a lot, you know. I mean, what he went through here and with the firework incident and all the other stuff, and um, he's found a place there. And I think that he's comfortable and uh, good for him. You know, he's a good player. He really is. Just really has got a great career. Lance Meadow, Jeff Fiegel's with you here. Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Don't miss out on your chance to experience a premier hospitality experience. Watching Giants games and world-class concerts in 2021 is a Giants suite partner. Limited full-season locations are available or place a deposit for individual games. You could call 888-NYG-1925. That's 888-NYG-1925. Or you can visit Giants.com slash suites for more information. And Giants fans, you get a New York Giants checking account from Investors Bank with a Giants branded debit card, security features, and discounts at the Giants online shop. You can earn up to $250 when you open an account at InvestorsBank.com slash Giants, member FDIC. 973-667-1960. That is the telephone number. You can also tweet at us, at Lance Meadow, one word, last name, M-E-D-O-W. He is at Jay Fiegel's one word as well. So we gave you the outlook of the Super Bowl after the two conference championship games. We'll also get into some NFL news and notes at the quarterback position and how that could help shape free agency as well as the draft. But in the meantime, let's open up the phone lines as we move along here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. And Charlie is in Portland, Maine. What's happening, Charlie? Hi, Charlie. Hey, Lance. Hey, Jeff. How y'all doing? Good. Hey, I, I can't believe Tom Brady is the luckiest quarterback in the history of the NFL. You throw three interceptions, and you still win a game. 
it's just it blows my mind. And again, that's why it's more a than a quarterback that wins a football game, isn't that exactly unbelievable? Exactly. Right? I mean, you mean it's not Brady against Rogers? There's other people <laughs> on the field. Wow, who yeah. knew? Yeah, I know. Well, the thing the thing is, if 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 he plays like that against uh, Kansas City, uh, this team's going to get smoked. Tampa Bay is going to get smoked. That's my prediction. It's not going to be a close game. I think uh, Kansas City's going to blow them out. But um, again, I just can't believe how Green Bay blew that game in so many. Actually, I shut the whole thing off after they got that touchdown before the half with one second left. Oh, so you're I like said, most of our over. listeners when you call. How uh, coincidental. <laughs> yes, go ahead. Yeah. I, I, I just knew <laughs> the game was over. I just knew the game was over. It was done. I knew they'd probably try to come back and it would get close, but I knew they lost. I didn't even watch the rest of the game. So I didn't even know Brady threw three interceptions, but I knew they were going to win. It was just so pathetic. That play. You know, Charlie, nobody provides better box score analysis without watching the game than you. You, know, you really have a true talent. You admit, you first say that Tom Brady's the luckiest person ever because he had a rough yeah. second half, and then you admit that you didn't watch any of the second half. No, but and I this saw is tr- it later. tremendous insight. Yeah. I saw it later. You know, I saw the replay. Oh, you put it on your DVR later. and then you watched it back in anticipation. Yeah, you could call recap. a Big Blue Kickoff Live, right? That's how it went? Okay. Yeah, gotcha. that's how it yeah. went. That's how it went. No, I just saw, you know, plays on, you know, Twitter and on whatever, NFL. Because Twitter always tells the whole story. Yeah. I I mean, you're (laughs) really, the hole you're digging yourself in is just truly widening as we speak. I saw the three interceptions, Lance. I saw the replays. I saw what happened, but I knew the game was over when they made that play. That was the dumbest play on that cornerback. I mean, what do you think he's coming in there for? You know, you know they're going to. It's just ridiculous how that guy let him get behind him. It, it was, and then they dropped an interception. They dropped the two-point convert. I mean, how are you going to beat anybody? You know, they reminded me of the Giants. They reminded me of that playoff game against Green Bay in 2016 where we dropped 100 balls, and Eli was, like, hot on fire, and they couldn't catch the stupid ball. And Green Bay did, I don't know what else they could have done to lost that game. Drop passes, drop interceptions. It was just unbelievable. And... Brady won two other Super Bowls just like that. When he beat Atlanta, the stupid coach just didn't run the ball and just kick a field goal when they were down there. He kept on passing. And then the Seattle thing, they didn't let uh, you know them run the ball when they were on the three-yard line. That's all they had to do is give it to Marshawn. Well, Charlie, what you're basically laying out is it comes down to a few plays here or there, and that's what Jeff and I talked I about. In, in fairness, though, Okay, you could argue the two giant Super Bowl victories over the Patriots also came down to a lot of those small things, too. Yeah, no, it's, it's true. I mean, it's true. It's just, it just blows my mind, though, that Brady is there again, and I ain't going to watch nothing, you know, until the Super Bowl because I don't want to listen to him. He's, I mean, <laughs> I don't want to listen to him for two weeks. I don't want to see his face. I just want Kansas City to destroy them. I want to repeat, and I want him destroyed. So anyway, that's all I got, guys. I'll talk to you guys. <laughs> all right, Charlie. Just magnificent. Thank you so much it's for from, throwing in your two Charlie's cents. Charlie's yes. lips. I want him destroyed. He's like the Terminator, right? We're gonna go. He's just. We want him destroyed. Oh boy. Hey, listen. I. You can't. You just. It's unfathomable what this guy has done in his career. I mean, a new division, a new conference, a new team, new everything, and the guy comes in. It's just like he's. How? How does he do this? It makes it look so easy. Just so focused, you know? And listen, every game has some luck in it. It really does. And, but I think that Tom Brady does have a little bit more luck than a lot of people. That's for sure. But, hey, you'd rather be lucky than good, I guess. Hey, that's the name of the game, especially in a sport where there's so much competitive balance and parity, right? You need some luck involved to mm-hmm. get back and back. But what we go back to the premise of this discussion is the fact that, yeah, Brady threw three interceptions, but Jeff, it was his defense then that bailed him out and supported yeah. him because they didn't allow Green Bay to capitalize. So like anything else, you could have a great quarterback or you could have a quarterback that slips up. That's why the defense is just as important or the special teams and the, the opportunities that come your way within those facets of the game are just as critical as the quarterback maybe having the ball on the last drive of the game and needing to make one play after another. He's got to be put in that position thanks to the other parameters. So I look at this game. Yeah, Brady didn't play his best game. I don't think anybody would make an argument that that was... Doesn't matter. 
an electric Brady. But you're right. It doesn't matter because you yeah, know who else players. came to play? Shaq Barrett came to play. That's JPP right. came to play. And the all those other guys. Thing. Yeah. And they and, took care of business. And by the way, the defense was missing, you know, one of their starters in the back end. So, I mean, they're well, actually missing both. They were missing both starting they, safeties. They yeah. lost one safety coming into the game, and then they lost another safety during the game. That's right. So, I mean, you know, you got to step up. And um, they did. And I think that that's going to be a big point. I, I, you know, I don't think this is going to be a blowout because I don't think that Tom Brady will make it a blowout. I mean, he's not going to let his – he's not going to do that. But I will tell you that Bruce Arians is an experienced head coach. Um, I think that he will coach this game to, you know, a little differently than a lot of other people might have. And, you know, you look at some of these younger coaches uh, around the NFL who are getting hired now and their success. You know, these guys haven't been around football as long as some of these other coaches have. And when you look at the two coaches that are in the Super Bowl this year, you can't ask for any more experience than those two guys. Holy smokes. You know, I mean, these guys are these guys are lifers in the National Football League. So. Uh, as an old guy, it's good to see. I could, you know, <laughs> I I enjoy it. Not to say that I don't enjoy the younger guys, because I think that they, I think the younger generation is is kind of making its move into the NFL these days, and you know, it's it's fine. And I think they have great minds, and they they think differently than the older people. But to see Andy Reid and Bruce Arians as the two head coaches in the in the big championship game, I, I love it. I think it's great. Well, you're just happy that the two head coaches actually were coaching in the NFL when you started your playing career. That's, that's why right. you're excited, this Jeff. Exactly. 100%. So it brings it full circle. Uh huh. Yep. That's that's what it really comes down it, to. It, it really does. Yep. Here's yep. another wild connection: the Bucks became the first wild card team to make the Super Bowl since the Steelers did it. Since, excuse me, the Packers did it in 2010, and the Packers played the Steelers that year. And the Steelers lost that Super Bowl. You know, it was the offensive coordinator of Pittsburgh. It was Bruce Arians. So, I mean, there's so many wild connections. Sure. There's obviously the Giants connections that we went over earlier in the show. And then how about this storyline? Tampa Bay became the first team, Jeff, to head to a Super Bowl the year in which their home stadium is hosting the Super Bowl. Yeah. How about by that? By default. By default, by the way. The, 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 originally, the, this game was supposed to be scheduled for L.A. But Good because point. They, they made the, – I, I was reading this this morning. The stadium um, wasn't ready. The yeah. stadium wasn't ready. They had those torrential rains a year ago that, that pushed back the, the construction of the stadium, so they had to move this game to Tampa. So, but regardless, that is uh, – it's pretty amazing in 55 Super Bowls that take – this is the one time that this has happened. It's incredible. And guess who's, guess who's the quarterback for that team? Tom Brady. Well, Tom it's another Brady. reason why Charlie hates Tom Brady, because he gets more luck. But I will say this, Jeff. In all seriousness, the league is loving this. Because in the midst of a global pandemic, the fact that one of your two teams doesn't have to travel at all and can literally walk from the facility to the stadium, trust me, they are not complaining. You couldn't have had better luck from the NFL's perspective, I would yeah. argue, Jeff. You'd I mean, think, that yeah, is you're, you're astounding. Half that the problem. Correct. You know what I'm saying? 100%. You, know, you got the only problem now is with uh, the, you know, the home team being Tampa is just having their family and people come to the game. Um, but other than that, their, their immediate family and everything, nothing changes for the, for the Bucks. So I guess, I guess I got to think that is an advantage, a huge advantage, you know, um, and not having to, you know, take all of your equipment and do all that kind of stuff. That's that just makes a it's a huge, huge advantage for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That's just really amazing when you think about it. it really yeah, does. that was the first thing that jumped into my mind. The hell yeah. with the fact that Brady and the Bucks are hosting the game and they're playing in their home stadium. The fact that they don't have to travel. Now, in fairness, the Chiefs are not traveling until Friday or Saturday before the game because, remember, this is no conventional Super Bowl. There's no media row. There's no media night. There's no extravaganza. They're keeping both of these teams, assuming both of them had to travel. They were all going to stay at their home facilities, treat oh, okay. it like a regular season and okay. previous playoff game. So okay. nothing was dramatically going to change. But once again, the fact that the Bucks don't have to get on a plane, they don't have to worry about staying at a hotel out of town. I think that is somewhat of an advantage that you know, one less an, headache. It's definitely an advantage and it's unfortunate it really is, and speaking from experience, and thank God I was able to go to one of these. Um, the whole the whole part about practicing for a week at home, and then getting on the plane and going to the you know where you're going, where the Super Bowl is, and staying there for a week is part of the attraction of going to the Super Bowl. I can tell you that. Um, 
it's it's so it's so fun. It's so much fun because you're caught up in everything. You know, the hotel is tricked out to to the team that you're on. I mean, the, it's just there's so much going on. So it's unfortunate for these guys in a COVID Super Bowl that they have to do this. But, you know, it is what it is. And that's just the downside, I guess, to it. Um, but I guess the big thing about it is that you are in the game and it will be played on a national stage and you'll have a lot of that stuff. But uh, that's really it's, it's unfortunate because from a player's perspective, it is a lot of fun when you're getting on that plane and riding that bus to the airport, knowing that you're going out to, like we did go out to Phoenix for a whole week. And uh, especially this time of the year, being in New Jersey or New York, it's, it was a blast. You know, and then when you win it, it's even better. Well, because of the warm weather. But you know what? It's interesting, Jeff, to hear you say that because I was wondering whether if you were playing during COVID-19, mm-hmm. if you would say to yourself that, hey, this is now a nice luxury and pleasure. I could sleep in my own bed for the two weeks leading up to the game. We don't have to get out and uproot it and go to a hotel. I would wonder under normal circumstances, Jeff, you're going to tell me you wouldn't have preferred that. You wouldn't have preferred to have the luxury of practicing two weeks at home and then just getting on a plane two or three days before the game and treating it like a normal game. No, no. Interesting. Nope, I, and I might be, you know, one of many that says it. I'm not. I, I, have, I just think it's all part of it. I, I you know, because you really you have a week, a week of preparation, okay, and that's a serious preparation. Then you, then you kind of take a little bit of time off, and then what I mean, like travel that weekend, going to the game, and I, I just no, I wouldn't have. I would have taken what I did at home for a week, and then the following week, you know, listen, you have enough time to really get down to the nitty gritty and focus. You know, Friday's your day. We're Friday, Saturday, and then you're playing game on Sunday. But, you know, I think that, no, I wouldn't have liked it. I wouldn't have liked it, Lance. <laughs> I would have been wanting to get on that plane and go and, and take it all in, really. Experience it. Well, that's why I asked, because yeah. it was one of the things that went through my mind knowing when I heard about how teams are not leaving any earlier than the Friday before the Super Bowl. Tampa Bay, of course, doesn't have to worry about that now. And I was wondering, I wonder if you took a poll of the players, if they would have said, hey, you know what, I wish every Super Bowl was like this, where we just get on the plane like a normal game, and this way we don't have to worry about the distractions, the headache, the requests from family wanting tickets, and worrying about all the things that you normally don't have to deal with during a typical practice week. So that's why I just was curious your perspective. But, you know, to your point, everybody obviously is different in that regard. I will real quickly tell you that the one thing I would not miss is the logistics of it. You know, like you had mentioned, the tickets and family and people wanting to come and see you and, you know, the text and all the stuff, you know, what are you guys doing? Can we come here? Can we come there? No. Family saying, can I do this? Can I, you know, all that I, I, I could, you could have that, you know, you could stay at home if that's what is, but you know, all the other auxiliary stuff, um, because it's so special. And maybe I'm just saying, saying this because it took me 20 years to get there. I wanted to just take all of it in. I wanted to experience every single second and minute and hour of that place. Um, so it might be different to some guys. And some guys, Lance, I do know will agree with you. They're going to say, yeah, you know what? I just want to sleep in my own bed. I want my normality. I don't want to do this. I don't want to travel. I don't wanna... There are going to be guys like that. But I would guess that a majority of the team would say, no, we want to go. We want to go. You are listening to Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. It is presented by the New York Lottery, the new X-Series of Scratch Us from the New York Lottery. Multiply your winnings up to 100 times. Please play responsibly. And a reminder, the New York Giants at Quest Diagnostics want our fans to come back stronger than ever. Now you can order your own lab test through Quest Direct to get the health answers you need most. Lance Meadow, Jeff Fiegel's with you here on Big Blue Kickoff Live, recapping conference championship weekend, looking ahead to the Super Bowl, some of the interesting storylines already emerging based on the matchup between the Bucks and the Chiefs. The other thing that transpired over the course of the weekend, Jeff, that I think is important to discuss here, and by the way, you can give us a ring at 973-667-1960 if you want to weigh in on any of the topics we've discussed, as well as anything pertaining to the New York Giants, is some developments related to the quarterback position, Jeff, because over the weekend we learned that the Detroit Lions and Matt Stafford have mutually agreed to part ways this offseason, mm-hmm. that they're going to look for a trade partner and Stafford's reign in Detroit is coming to an end. And while this is not going to impact the Giants, okay, I'm not bringing this up to speculate about if the Giants are going to pursue another quarterback, okay? We've beaten that like a dead horse. Daniel Jones is their quarterback. I'm not interested in having that conversation. But it is fair to say that where Stafford winds up could very well impact the Giants because 
I'm looking at potential suitors, Jeff, and Washington is a team that I think makes a lot of sense for Matt Stafford. On top of that, Martin Mayhew, by the way, who was briefly in the Giants' front office a few years ago, he now just became the Washington general manager. And, Jeff, you know who drafted Matt Stafford in Detroit in 2009? It was Martin Mayhew. Mm -hmm. So you connect all those dots, and Alex Smith may retire. Kyle Allen's coming off a significant ankle injury. They parted ways with Dwayne Haskins. It's possible that Washington could be one of the teams going after Matt Stafford. Indianapolis, of course, is another one that makes sense because Phillip Rivers retired and Jacoby mm -hmm. Brissett's a free agent. But where these guys end up, remember, which is, you assume, going to happen once the new league year gets underway in March, the reason it's important to note that is that could very well shake up the draft because a team we thought that may have drafted a quarterback could decide, hey, I'd rather have the proven commodity in Matt Stafford than take a flyer on a younger guy. Yeah, I'm trying to think about which team I think that if that was the case would be more beneficial to get him. And I got to say that it's probably Washington. Um, you know, I, listen, Indy, Indy's a good team. Um, but I feel like, yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. I, I think that, hmm. I mean, Indianapolis. Well, here's the is, thing. They're not, not to Indianapolis. You, Jeff. Yeah, go ahead. Well, what, what I was going to say is if you're Detroit, do you not want to trade him within the conference? Because if you want to get him out of the conference, then Indianapolis makes a lot more sense, right? Because yeah. then you don't have to Just worry about it. for that reason, yeah. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, and Indianapolis is really isn't in a, in a position to, to draft a quarterback high. I mean, what, they were, what number are they going to be at? I mean, it's not going to be something where – well, I guess they could get one of these guys later. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I like Matt Stafford. I think that Washington is, makes a little bit more sense to me with him. Um, and, and he's a guy that what, – what's Matt Stafford have left in him? Three more years, you think? Well, he's held up durability-wise. I mean, I know he's played through a few injuries early in his career. That was the concern. But last few seasons, I mean, Stafford's been out there. He's been suiting up. I'm just curious in terms of his age, just to provide further context here. Matt Stafford is 32 years old. And his first year, as I mentioned, was 2009. So he's been okay. in the league over a decade. But, I mean, listen, you put him in front of a good offensive line like Indianapolis, for example. Look yeah. at what the yeah. line did for Phillip Rivers, Jeff. I mean, you could argue Rivers didn't have to retire. Rivers could have come back for another sure. season or two. Well, it it wasn't as if Rivers line. was showing yeah. signs of deterioration. So you give Stafford a good offensive line? I don't think there's any reason why he can't play four to five more years. Oh. Other, other than them not wanting to trade him in the, in the uh, conference, um, that could be a really good spot for him. I mean, if I'm Matt Stafford and I have, the, have at those two teams I have to choose from, I'm going to Indy with that offensive line. No question. And, and a running game, they got some good, good skill position. Their defense Jonathan is Taylor. really good. Yeah. Um, yeah, so you know, maybe now that I know that they're trying to trade me, maybe I'm asking them to trade me to Indy. Just hope they don't have to trade any of those offensive So I, I've <laughs> sold you as representation of Matt Stafford. Jeff, you're yeah. now sold on Indianapolis. Is that now, what you're saying? I am sold now. <laughs> now that we've talked through this, I thought that yes. Washington might be a better fit. But you know what? I'm, but I'm, I'm throwing out the notion that we, we don't care if we keep them in the, in the uh, conference or not. Uh, but that's a better fit for me if I'm, if I'm Stafford. Definitely. Well, and that's probably the debate that every front office executive goes through. Do you focus on what is the best return for our team, which I think should always be the priority, or do you then weigh that against, okay, well, we're moving on from the guy, but do we then want to play him twice a year, whether it be once in the regular season or the playoffs potentially? I mean, let's put it this way. I don't think they're trading him within the division, okay? So if the no, no, Bears no, no. come calling, something tells me they're not giving Matt Stafford to Chicago, just as a hypothetical <laughs> example. But, no. you know, if, if you have an opportunity to ship him to another conference that you play once every four years and they just blow you away and maybe they throw a player in there, I'd at least give heavy consideration to that before I would just say, well, I'm only taking him and going to send him to an AFC team. Yeah, and real quickly, you know, not to get off the subject completely, but, you know, the Eagles hired a new coach, too, over the weekend. Nick Sirianni. So that's interesting. And um, clearly, clearly I, that was taken into the Carson Wentz consideration there, um, this, this whole thing. Imagine that. that you're, 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 you're firing coaches. You're hiring coaches all because you've got a quarterback problem. You've got a quarterback problem that makes too much money, a guy that did, really played horribly last year. But you just look at the ruckus that it's cost. You know, it's just like, yeah, once you sign those guys, that those types of deals and you can't get out of them, man, there's hell to pay. 
And that's uh, that's what's happening with the Eagles right now. Yeah, you get into a situation where you have to choose between the quarterback and the head coach. And when you look at the money tied up and the fact that it impacts cap space and all of those other factors, absolutely. So there's no doubt about it. I would agree with you. Plus, also, Nick Sirianni worked with Frank Reich for the last three years. And remember, Reich was in Philly in 16 and 17 in helping develop Carson Wentz. I'm not saying that was a huge factor, but something tells me they took that connect the dots theory into Mm -hmm. play when they made that hire. Let's reopen up the phone lines here as we move forward on Big Blue Kickoff Live, 973-667-1960, and we check in with Frank in Rockland County. What's happening, Frank? Hi, Frank. How you doing? Uh, being a 50-plus-year Giants fan, how's that, bud? Uh, very good. Congratulations. Uh, I even listened to them when I was in Korea in the Army. Uh, uh, you know, uh, Overseas and all, but uh, two things. One thing I don't understand, being a giant fan all these years, they never developed a great line that lasted for at least five, six years. Am I correct or not? It's Paul. Well, the line that helped them win two Super Bowls, Bowls, I don't think was too shabby. Yeah, but it didn't last that long. Well, it was there for a good five, six years. Absolutely. Dallas in the 70s always had a great line. They had a great line in the, in the 90s. But another thing, too, that I was listening to, I like, I like that guy out of Alabama, not the uh, the guy that won the Heisman, the uh, Waddles, because he reminds me of that Tariq Hill. Fast, and uh, they could use him in the rounds and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And he's got good hands. So what do you guys think? I think he'll be there at 11 if we want the Giants want him. And they do need a guy coming off the edge too. And I hope they did. I hope they uh, signed both both uh, Williams and uh, and uh, yeah, Tomlinson. Tackle too. Uh, hope they yeah, Tomlinson and Leonard Williams. You're referring to yes. two defensive linemen. I hope they sign both of them and cut uh, cut uh, uh, the the uh, the offensive lineman that they uh, that. They this year at all. Solder. Solder, yeah, because he stunk for the last two years anyway. <laughs> well, but, you know, those offensive linemen, veterans like that, they don't grow on trees. Yeah, so, but he wasn't you know, that good. Well, he wasn't that good. Well, but he could be an option if they wanted to put him at right tackle. I Can't I rule like, that out. He played right tackle early in his career in New England. I'd like to try the other kid, that, that, that Matt Pearl and all. Matt Parrott, you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Well, they got some exploring that they'll have to do during the course of the offseason, Frank, and we appreciate the phone call. Thanks so much for weighing in. Uh, Jalen Waddle, by the way, who was the player that the last caller brought up, keep in mind, you know, dealing with some injury entering the draft. So that's something to monitor. You always want to make sure that everybody's fully healthy. And remember, he was the one that returned for the national championship game after breaking his right ankle in October. And you could tell he certainly wasn't 100% healthy. So mm-hmm. that's something I think any team is going to have to look into, especially if they want to invest a high pick. Yeah, and some people actually have uh, Jalen Waddle above Devontae Smith. Um, you know, in some of these mock drafts, 162,000 versions <laughs> of them. Um, yes. But, you know, it just depends. And, you know, if it would. It, Getting a little off topic, but, you know, when we start to get into the draft and we start to understand the needs and wants of the Giants and where they can fall to get these players, there's a true reality that one of these guys, there's going to be a, you know, there's going to be a wide receiver that's going to be available on that 11th pick if you want him and you're going to go ahead and get him. It's going to be a playmaker, a guy that that Dave Gettleman said we need. And so they're going to have their, they're going to have their choice. Just a matter of who's going to be there. And, and Jalen Waddle just might be the guy. I mean, Devontae Smith, you would assume that he's going to go above him. Um, Jamar Chase from LSU is another guy that's going to be off the board, I'm guessing, before uh, the 11th pick. But, you know, there's a lot of good guys out there. Uh, Kadarius Toney, the, the receiver from Florida, is another one that could be there. So, I mean, listen, I think if the Giants want to go for that wide receiver position, there's certainly enough guys in this draft this year that they will, they will, they'll get a good one. That's for sure. Well, and you and I have had many conversations going through the previous draft classes, how I would say the percentage of you taking a wide receiver early mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. guy panning out, mm-hmm. relatively high, at least mm-hmm. based on what we've seen over the last 100%. few drafts. Probably now, more than any other position, I would think. W- absolutely. Now, part of the thinking, though, could be, Jeff, 
and it depends on how the Giants view the wide receiver position, sure. to your point. I know If they feel yeah. that there's a lot of depth and a lot of options there, yeah. maybe they say, hey, we can get a guy in round two, and we don't have to necessarily use the 11th overall pick on that. I mean, that may be part of their 100%. philosophy, too. Absolutely. They're, and it's just all about, it's all about theory. It's all about what you think and, your, and how you've evaluated this draft. And, and evidently, according to a lot of different people and sources, that this is a very deep draft in the wide receiver area. So with that in mind, that very well could be your mindset, Lance. So who would, with the 11th pick, would it be, you know, would it be for that first edge rusher off the board? Maybe the kid from, uh, Rousseau, I think it's Rousseau from Miami, sat out last year. Um, could be that guy. So, you know, it just all depends on theory. It depends on how you got your draft board set up. And... And the belief, if you can go ahead and remember, you're still at a number 11 position in the second round, too. So you're up there on the second round also. So you're talking about 32, um, 32, 42, the 43rd pick, right? So you can still get a pretty good guy with that. Yeah, every round duplicates uh, based on where you selected in the first round. So that's uh, obviously something to take into consideration. All right, that is going to wrap up Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Appreciate everybody for tuning in. The archive, of course, will be up on Giants.com as well as the mobile app and podcast platforms later on today. And we will be back up and running with Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live at noon Eastern. We'll start to look ahead to the Senior Bowl, which Mm -hmm. is this week's event And then, obviously, the following week will be the Super Bowl. So plenty to digest and discuss over the next coming days. Jeff, always a blast going back and forth. We will discuss more later this week. Thank you, Lance. Thank you, John. You got it. All right. And a reminder that today's episode of Big Blue Kickoff Live presented by New York Lottery. Get out there and play. As a reminder, you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network brought to you by Investors Bank on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. For Jeff Eagles, I'm Lance Meadow. Stay locked to Giants.com for all the latest. Enjoy the rest of your Monday. We'll speak to you on Tuesday. Have a good one.